So uh, back in the, um, I guess it was the mid 80s, I think it was 1987 or 1988. If you're old enough, uh, you may remember this story. It was in the news. It was a terrible story. It was this uh, car ferry in uh, this is Europe, in uh, Belgium. Um, and this ferry was leaving, uh, leaving a port in Belgium. It was heading to England, uh, the English Channel. And it capsized. Um, it was a huge ferry. And I, I think of a car ferry, I think of like uh, the New London, you know, Orient Point one, which is pretty big, but I think tiny compared to this particular ferry. Um, 80 cars, 50 trucks, couple of buses were all on this one ferry. Um, 500 passengers. Anyway, uh, it capsized uh, in 90 seconds. It capsized. Um, and what they think happened was this. Oh, they know what happened is this. The, uh, you know, you drive onto one, the back end of those boats and you drive out of the other end when it lands in the next, wherever it's going. They didn't secure that um, gate. So very shortly into leaving, leaving the dock, water just started rushing in. And uh, yeah, it went over on its side. Panic ensued uh, because of the water coming in. Uh, the electrical, electric system was uh, knocked out because of that. There were no lights. So imagine this. Imagine that. Just sort of a horror story. Um, anyway, like I said, 200 people died. Um, all kinds of investigations and uh, tribunals. Um, people were interviewed in investigations about, like, so what, what happened here and... Anyway, um, according to the people who survived, the crew, they had these sort of, almost all the people were saying the same thing, that the crew, or most of the crew, just panicked. In the midst of this, they just, uh, they were all trained, they were all taught what to do in an emergency s situation, uh, but they, apparently they just kind of froze. Nobody took the lead. Nobody among the crew. Um, but there was one person that the, the survivors mentioned. One person who took over. Um, it was a passenger, it wasn't a crew member. And they said what happened was this guy, nobody was doing anything. People were in a panic. And this guy kind of just uh, started giving orders, calming people down, moving people to different sections of the boat, carrying kids up and down these stairs. And they say this guy saved a lot of lives. He got people to safety. He didn't make it. He himself ultimately drowned, um, saving others. It's kind of ironic, or sadly, tragically ironic. It was like the ones who were trained, the ones who would, with the answers, the crew, were the ones who were ineffective. But then out of nowhere, this guy emerges, really without the training, and he becomes the rescuer. That sound kind of, sort of, vaguely familiar, like, yeah, 
kind of heard that. I sort of know that. Yeah, we just did. I mean, this gospel, this gospel is pretty much that. We're told that Jesus entered the synagogue and he taught, and the people were amazed. I mean, they were, it says they were astonished, more than amazed, what he was saying, how he was saying it. They all talked about his authority, this kind of confidence he had. He was so unlike the scribes. It says it. He was kind of like the opposite of them. They were the ones who had the answers, but never really effectively communicated them. Jesus comes in, who's not nearly trained the way they were, and is absolutely wowing this synagogue crowd. The scribes were the one with the answers. They were like the crew on the ferry. They were the ones that were trained, but they weren't the ones who made a difference. It was this passenger, it was this individual who just took over and he was noticed and listened to. And people followed him and he saved them, lots of them. I mean, that's what we get in Jesus. Hey, that's sort of a, a description of who Jesus is. He's the rescuer. When our lives are capsizing, when we're in a panic, he rescues. If we let him, I think we either believe that or we don't. Jesus is the one who rescues, or some just say, yeah, well, you know, I don't think he rescues. He's just uh, like many great philosophers, ethical philosophers historically. He's one among many. No, he's not. He's not one among many. He's someone absolutely set apart. We hear that from Moses in the first reading. It says, Moses stands up in front of the people and he says, a prophet like me, but greater than me, is coming after me. And when he shows up, you better listen. Because he's the one. He's the one that will rescue everybody. But he, he says this, this guy who's going to follow me, he's greater than me. Greater than me. You know, we hear that. Well, we know Jesus is greater than Moses. But when his words were spoken, there was no Jesus. We know it because we've got the advantage of history. Moses is saying, somebody greater than me. People were like, no, there's nobody greater than you, Moses. There is nobody greater than Moses. Yet, he's saying exactly that. So, be on the lookout. Hey, that's why when he showed up, they were astonished. He stopped people in their tracks because he was so unlike everybody who had gone before, all the prophets, even Moses. Somebody greater than Moses. You know, we've been thinking about the staff, maybe trying the staff down here of this summer, putting together a uh, summer camp for kids. Kind of like a combination uh, sports and faith camp. This will be mostly sports stuff, but it'll be kind of wrapped in faith. I don't know, hoping we can, get, we can get it off the ground. But imagine this. Imagine, number one, that we do. And now imagine this, you got a, you've got a couple of kids. One of them's in eighth grade. And he's a very good athlete. Been playing football since he was in second grade. Now he's in eighth. He's a quarterback, and he's actually got a very good arm. Like, he really does. He's kind of a natural. Now imagine this. We do this camp, and I announce that Tom Brady is going to be working the camp. Imagine that. I mean, he's retired now, and maybe he's looking to make a few extra bucks. You never know. 
There's no way you wouldn't have your kid, your quarterback kid, be at that camp, right? There's just no way. Tom Brady? I mean, arguably the greatest ever. And my, kid's a, my kid wants to be a quarterback. My kid is a quarterback. I would absolutely bring the two together or bring my kid to him. Now imagine this. At the end of the first day with Brady, Brady says this, tomorrow, somebody greater than me is coming. A quarterback greater than me will be here and is going to run a clinic for your quarterback kid. I mean, who's, who's better than Tom Brady? I don't know. I can argue one or two people. Maybe, maybe, probably not even. That's what's going on in this reading. Moses is saying, yeah, somebody better than Tom Brady is coming. Somebody better than me is coming. And if you're all smart, you'll be ready when he shows. And then you will take notes. You will listen to what he says because he will rescue you when the ferry is sinking. You know, there's a, uh, I was reading this story about this woman who's now, I guess, about 75, maybe. And uh, she went to a Catholic grade school when she was a kid. And there was a nun that she had that she loved and uh, stayed in touch with over the years. Um, her family, uh, this nun almost became sort of part of the family. Vacation, uh, holidays would often come by. And they stayed in touch. She's now in her 90s, retired. She's in a retirement home for sisters. But this former student continues to stay in touch with her and visit her. At any rate, one day she's there, they're hanging out, and the old nun tells the former student that this other nun that the former student knew is now a resident in this home. She was, the, she was kind of the opposite of the nice nun. She was kind of like the scary one. Um, this student, former student, uh, had her when she was in fifth grade and uh, was terrified of her. She was very intimidating and she didn't really learn any math and that kind of impacted her academically and she kind of lost confidence. It was just a very bad experience with this teacher nun. So the one, the friendly one says, why don't you go visit the cranky one? She's around the corner on the same floor. And she didn't want to because she just was sort of afraid of her. She never let go of those really awful emotions. She decides to go. She knocks on the door. She goes in, introduces herself. The old nun recognizes her, remembers her, remembers her, didn't recognize her, but remembered her. And they sit down and they chat for a bit and they have this really wonderful conversation. And the former student can't believe it because it's like, what happened to this wicked witch nun that I had when I was in fifth grade? She's like, couldn't be nicer. She's like, this nice old sister. And then the sister starts to cry. And she says, um, I need to apologize to you for that year. She said, it was the worst year of my life. It was her first year teaching. And she said, I was a wreck. I had like, she had like 49 kids in the classroom. And she said, I just wasn't very good with kids. You all scared me. I know, I know you were all afraid of me. I was more afraid of you. I just never let on. And then she said she had a, I guess her, this mother superior, or maybe it was the principal or both, was saying, hey, you need to be tough. You need to let them know who's in control. 
She said, I, she said, I just did that. And I know I scared the life out of you. I've regretted that forever. Because she's lasted one year. And she said, then I went back to school. Ended up getting two doctorates. Became fluent in four different languages. For 50-something years, she taught it on the university level. A whole bunch of different colleges and universities. She said, that's what I loved. That's where I was at home. I loved teaching, but not fifth graders. And I was so frightened by it. And I'm sorry, because I know I gave you a terrible experience. And they just had this kind of wonderful, almost reconciliation moment. You know, in this gospel tonight, descriptions of two things. One was the whole authority thing. He came in and it was like they were spellbound. They couldn't believe who he was and the way he was speaking. And the second thing is this possessed guy comes in, this guy with an unclean spirit. And Jesus pretty much body slams this guy in the synagogue, comes in possessed, and he comes out completely free. These unclean spirits are driven out of him. Unclean spirits. Man, what are they? I always think of like the scary devil movies, right? Yeah, maybe that. That stuff is real. I say more often this. The things that keep us unfree, like being scared, like being that nun 60-something years ago, 70, whatever, years ago. She was scared to death, and fear kind of possessed her, controlled her. And because of that, she had this terrible experience with these kids. The woman, the former student, talked about how for all those years she held such anger toward her. We can be possessed by anger, can't we? I can't let go, and it consumes me. What are the things that possess us? Because he's here. He's as much here as he was in that synagogue the first time. Oh, you know what's also interesting? The first miracle that he performs in the Gospel of Mark is this one tonight. It wasn't a paralyzed guy. It wasn't a blind guy. It, was, it wasn't a deaf guy. It was a whole bunch of people with unclean spirits in a church. Maybe the point is this. Hey, this is the place for unclean spirits. We come in here with them and we leave minus them. If we engage him, if we listen to Moses' words of listen up, when he shows up, you listen to him because he is greater than I and he will make you free. You know, think about it. You have you 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 know, the expression like, wait a minute, what possessed you? What possessed you, what possessed you to say that? Oh, I don't know. I couldn't believe I said it. Yeah, I know what possessed me to say it. I was angry at that person. And I couldn't deal with the anger, so I took their head off. And I said totally regrettable, stupid things. What possessed you to act that way in the moment? I, I, yes, that's what unclean spirits do. Anger and fear, greed, lust. But think about it. Don't all those things in our darker moments possess us? Don't, aren't they the areas where we get tripped up? We become somebody we're not proud of? Somebody that we know isn't really us? And like the guy in the synagogue, we show up. We're made free. But we just got to keep showing up. Wait, what, what keeps you trapped 
in a sinking ferry. We all need to be rescued. So let him rescue you.